Well, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. We appreciate you. May somebody do your laundry for you this week, right? That's so good. That was a fun video. Thank you. I just, my name is Angie Gergen. I'm a mother of three, grandmother of two, and daughter of the Most High King. And I'm so excited to be able to share with you this morning. I want to thank Pastor Mike and Rhonda for allowing me to share because every time they extend trust to me, it's nothing I take for granted, but they really don't know what could be said. So thank you so much for that. I love being part of this church. I love being part of an equipping church. It's part of our vision. It's part of our mission. I can't ever get up here without nodding to it, at least. And Ephesians chapter 4, 12, it says, He appointed some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers. That's you and I. Their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. And as they do this, they enlarge and build up the body of Christ. Isn't that a great word? Well, I've loved being part of that. I've literally been part of that process for decades. I've been one of the ones that has been equipped and been able to come in and do things in the church and, and see God move in and through me. And it's been so exciting. And I've had the privilege, which is one of the funnest things that I enjoy doing, is being an equipper and coming alongside other believers and cheering them on and encouraging them in their walk with the Lord and seeing God move in and through them. And that is so awesome. But most recently, I've experienced another facet of this equipping. And I just want to take a moment to just extend a huge thank you to our church family. Because as many of you know, the last several months for our family has been very challenging and very difficult. And in the process, the equipped has risen to the occasion to minister to our family. You, Church for the Harvest, know how to battle well. You, Church for the Harvest, know how to walk alongside the hurting. You, Church for the Harvest, are not afraid of the messy. And you, Church for the Harvest, know how to magnify Jesus in every situation. And for that, before we get into the word this morning, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for being an outstanding church family. We are so blessed by your ministry. And now we're going to turn into the word of God. Happy Mother's Day to all of you. I've got a special message for all the moms here today, but we're not exclusive. I've got a special message for all of you that have a mom here today. So that should include all you all, right? So Lord, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence here already in the worship and the announcements and the offering. Father God, I pray that you would continue to extend your, your presence. Lord, I pray that you would anoint this message Give us ears to hear what you have to say. Open our hearts, open our minds. Lord, that we would receive your word and we wouldn't just be hearers, but we would be doers. We'd be quick to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the foundation scripture that I have for this morning's message titled, What's Your Brick? is Proverbs 14.1. I've got two foundation scriptures. Proverbs 14.1 is the first one. It says, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish one tears it down with her own hands. 
Now, I love when you dive into the Word of God and it shows comparison and contrast. In the Word of God, there's life and death. There's blessing and cursing. There's love, there's hate. There's the wise, there's the foolish, there's the righteous, there's the wicked. And when you see these contrasts, you need to pay attention to what's being said. Because, you see, these contrasts always come with a choice. It's not, well, that person's wise, I'm just foolish. It's always linked to a choice. With your actions, you can choose life. With your actions, you can surrender your life to Christ and choose righteousness. Through your actions, you can choose to walk in wisdom. If this is what the wise do, the wise build, and the foolish destroy, I choose to walk as the wise. I choose to do what the wise do. The Hebrew word for house in this scripture is bayit. It's used over 2,000 times in the Old Testament, and here's what it references. Oftentimes, it references a structure but, or a type of building, but it references a home. It references a household. It references a family. It references the temple of God. Now take a moment and pause and think on that. When you think about that, a home, a household, a family, the temple of God, do you see the essence of expansion there? God wants to build something in your life that just isn't limited to your four walls and no more. He wants to pour something into your life that is established and that expands out from you. Amen? Amen? So I see as a wise woman, a wise woman tends to her heart. A wise woman spends time in the Word and in the presence of God and builds something up in her heart that it can't help but to overflow into her household. And now a wise woman is raising up her children in the way they should go. A wise woman speaks destiny into their life. A wise woman says to her children, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and your identity is secure in who you are in Christ. A wise woman speaks confidence in what Jesus has done for her children. A wise woman builds her household. And then a wise woman comes alongside and says, and this is how we do. We build the house of God. We build the kingdom of God. Come with me, little kids. We're going to go. It's church cleanup time. I need you to pick up some sticks. This is how we do. This is how we show the love of Jesus and make him big to others. We serve in the house of God. This is what the wise do. Now, I don't want my brothers to nod off this morning and think, well, this is a really great Mother's Day message, so I'm going to go to our second foundation scripture, wise people are builders. Do I got some brothers? Wise people are builders. That includes all of us now, doesn't it? It includes us as the church. It says they build families, businesses, communities through intelligence and insight. Their enterprises are established and they endure. God wants to establish what you do. He wants it to endure far beyond the time that you're on this earth. He wants what he builds in and through you to go to generation after generation after generation long after you're gone, because my great, 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 great granddaddy served Jesus. We have a family legacy of serving Jesus. God wants to establish some things for you. And you can see in here through through this scripture, there's an expansion again. God doesn't just let you plant seed and it just sits there and it, it multiplies. So it says in this scripture, they build families. Those families go out, they conduct their business, they conduct their profession with integrity, 
with the character of God. They sense the blessing of God on their businesses and they impact their communities. Amen? Amen. There's an expansion that God wants to do. Everyone loves messages of blessing and increase. It's, they're really easy to preach. And God loves that too. He really does. But this morning, God is looking for who he can build with. That's what he's looking for. And as we set our hearts and our focus on what matters to God, he promises that he will be faithful in building that thing so it's established and so that it endures. Psalm 92, 13, those who are planted in the house of the Lord, they shall flourish in the courts of their God. It, again, is an expansion, is it not? Amen. The wise build. This is what the wise do. So what I'd like to do this morning is just reflect on some Old Testament builders that come to mind when I think on these scriptures. The first one is Noah and the Ark. Noah and the Ark is probably one of the most familiar Bible stories. I mean, we have toys made with Noah and the Ark. We've got nursery themes that are made with Noah and the Ark. You often see stories. In fact, every ancient culture has some memory or some account of a worldwide flood. But for those of you that need a refresher, we're just going to go to Genesis chapter 6. Mind you, God created man in Genesis chapter 1, and just five chapters later, he's like, what have I done? <laughs> Verse 5 through 6 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent and the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Other scriptures say, or other uh, translations say, that mankind was corrupt and filled with violence. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. But Noah found grace in the eyes of God. There's some things, I don't know, when you read that scripture, if you go, gee, it just kind of feels like maybe there's some parallels in the society we live in today. Yeah. And so, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Society was corrupt, and it was lawless. But Noah made a choice. He chose not to conform to the culture of his day. He chose the higher calling. He chose to conform to the will of God and to pursue the will of God and to pursue the heart of God. Noah said, that's what I will develop in my life. Noah walked with God. He listened to God. He pressed into God. And he was obedient to God. And the Bible describes him as just and blameless a man with integrity. Noah built his heart before the Lord. And in doing that, he built his family before the Lord. Because when the flood came, it was Noah and his family that were saved. And he taught his family the precepts of God. And then God said, I'm going to let Noah in on what's going on. He had favor from God. And so God let Noah what was coming, a flood, something he had never seen before. How many of you experienced in the last 18 months something you've never seen before? And God says, but I'm going to deliver Noah because he has a heart that's for me. And so he gave him directions on how to build this huge vessel of deliverance, what we know as an ark. It was one and a half football fields long. I don't know what cubits are, but I can envision a one and a half football field. It was four stories high, and it could house 
500 railroad stock cars. Now, for you that are wondering, well, how big is 500 railroad stock cars? You know when you're driving to work and you're running a little late and that train is coming almost to a dead stop? The average train is about 174 cars. Okay, so the ark could house almost twice of those. You guys are laughing because you push it to the line to get to work. You are my people. <laughs> I understand. It's unclear how long it took Noah to build this ark. Some scholars say 50 years. Some say up to 120. I couldn't find a definitive answer. If you want to know, ask Pastor Mike. I know he knows. But 120. He says 120. The point is, it was decades. And during those decades, 2 Peter tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So the culture didn't listen to him. But he was intent on building his heart before the Lord. He was intent on building his family before the Lord. He was intent on declaring the truths of God and God's righteousness and the character of God to his generation. And if any one of them would have heeded the words of Noah and repented, God would have rescued them too. He's a good God like that. We live under the new promise. And today, Jesus is our deliverer. We don't need a great big boat. We don't need a great big ark. But do you recognize that when you feast on the word of God, do you recognize when you spend time in his presence, do you recognize when you meditate on his word and you deposit that in your heart and the floodwaters come and the storms come because they still do? You've established an ark in your life that raises you above the circumstances and brings you through. Do you recognize that? God wants to build that in you today. Noah looked to God with faith, and he walked by virtue of faith with God, and God looked to Noah with favor. Amen? Amen? He'll do the same for you. Hebrews 11.7 says, Faith opened Noah's heart to receive revelation and warnings from God about what was coming, even things that had never been seen. But he stepped out in reverent obedience, Obedience is a building block in the kingdom. And stepped out in reverent obedience to God and built an ark that would save him and his family. By his faith, the world was condemned. But Noah received God's gift of righteousness that comes by believing. Amen. So let's go on to another Old Testament builder, the Shunammite woman. Whoops, sorry. Should have had that scripture up there for you, but you heard it. The Shunammite woman. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 37. Now, Scripture tells us that she was a notable woman in her town. She had a good reputation. She had a good marriage. She uh, was generous, and she was hospitable. People knew her. She was well-established in her town. And that whenever the prophet Elisha would come through town, she was intentional and purposeful about creating a great meal and welcoming him in to have a great meal and to be refreshed. I have no doubt that during those mealtimes, she leaned in to the man of God to hear the truths of God and to process those and to let them take root in her heart. When the prophet showed up, she made room for the presence of God. That's, that's what he was. He was carrying the presence of God. So she went and she talked to her husband and she said, hey, this man is a holy man. Can we add another room to our house for him? 
Can we furnish it with a bed, a lamp, a desk, a chair? Can we add another room to the house? She was a builder. She built space. She built a room for the presence of God in her life. She built space. She built a room for the discipline of of practicing the presence of God in her life. Are you building space? Are you building room in your heart for the presence of God in your life? Do you practice this on a regular basis? That's my challenge for you today. So Elisha was so blessed by her actions. He says, I want to try to do something to bless her back. And so he went and through him and his servant, Gehazi, they had a conversation with the woman about what is it that you need? Do you need me to go talk to the king on your behalf? And she goes, no, I'm established. Life is good. Life is good. And his servant notes, but she doesn't have a son. And her husband is old. And so Elisha hits a tender spot in her heart. And he says, by this time next year, you'll be nursing a son. And she says, don't you lie to me. Don't you lie to me. See, she had let that promise already go by the wayside. She chose to look at all the good that was in her life. I've been established. I've got, I've got the favor. It's great that you come. I enjoy the presence of God. Don't you lie to me. But God's promises came to pass. Again, she had developed her heart and built her heart. God had built her in the community. But God said, I'm not leaving this undone. I'm going to build your family too because you've been faithful. I'm going to take care of this for you because you've been faithful. That would be such an outstanding ending to the story, but it's not. A few years later, tragedy strikes. Her boy is out in the field with his dad, and he says, oh, my head, my head. And the dad says, get the boy to his mom. And she's holding her son, and in her arms, he dies. Scholars think that he died of heat stroke. The promise of God that she didn't really ask for, that she had already put aside, that came to pass anyway, dies in her arms. And she goes and she lays him down in the bed of the prophet. And she doesn't say anything about him dying. She doesn't say anything outside of faith. Just anybody that she encounters, she says, it is well. It is well. It is well. But I'm going to pursue the man of God. It is well. It is well. But I'm going to get into the presence of God because this promise, this is not right. But it is well. And she kept pursuing. And she went and she found Elisha. Elijah says, what are, is, your, is it well with your husband? Is it well with your son? And she throws herself at her, his feet. She's like, I didn't ask. But she wouldn't leave until he chose to come with her back to that space, back to that room where her boy lay dead. As the story goes, Elisha, I just want to show you something that happened. Elisha follows her back. And he prays over that boy, and the resurrection power drops, and he comes back to life. Do you think that as she was pursuing and and going for her answer, as she was pursuing the man of God, do you think that she wasn't battling just because she was saying it is well, it is well, just because she was declaring God's truth? Do you think she wasn't battling? I'm going to tell you, of course, she was battling. A huge piece of her heart was laying dead before her. But by faith, the faith that she had built, she drew from that well within her versus fear. By faith, she continued to declare the truths of God. There are promises. I'm losing track of my, my sermon here. I just want to get back on track. Here's the thing with the Shunammite woman. 
She made room in her house for the presence of God. She treasured the truths of God. She received the promise of God. She witnessed what appeared to be the death of that promise, and she pursued the truth of God and his resurrection power. See, there's something here for you, a nugget right now that I really want you to get a hold of. And here's the nugget, is that there's some people here that you just thought, you know what, I think I don't see this promise coming to pass, or I thought this promise was going to turn out this way and it didn't. It looks like it died. So I'm just going to lay it down and I'm going to close the door. And you left the door closed. But God wants to tell you this morning, my promises do not come with expirations. What I declared over your life way back when, I still have every intention to fulfill that thing. You have to continue to pursue it. God is calling you to continue to pursue it. Kick down that door, go after the presence of God, and declare, it is well. And I will see this thing come to pass. I will see this thing resurrect. How much more can you see that with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? This is an Old Testament example. You live under a new covenant with the resurrection power of Jesus Christ inside of you. It is well. And he does not have an expiration on his promise for you. Amen? Amen. Nehemiah, that's our third example. Nehemiah, the Jews, and the wall. Nehemiah, the Jews, and the wall. Now, Nehemiah was a cupbearer. He had a profession. Some of us are like, well, what can I do for God? I'm, I'm this, I'm that, I'm not a minister. Yes, you are. You're a minister of the gospel, and you're a construction worker. Yes, you are. You're a minister of the gospel, and you're a nurse. Yes, you are. You're a minister of the gospel, and you're a teacher. God's called you to both. You have a dual profession, amen? He was a cupbearer for the king of Persia. Nehemiah's brothers and friends came for a visit, and Nehemiah asked, how are things going with the Jews who had survived the exile? How are things going in Jerusalem? And his heart was just torn in two, because this is the report that they gave him. The exile survivors who are left in the province are in bad shape. Conditions are appalling. The wall of Jerusalem is still rubble. The gates are still cinders. Nehemiah was just broken by this. He prayed, he fasted, he repented. He reminded the Lord of his promises. He asked the Lord for favor as he went before the king to gain permission to return to Jerusalem so he could rebuild the wall. God was faithful in all of this. Nehemiah received not only favor from the king, permission to go, and supplies to boot, to go back and rebuild the wall. And when Nehemiah arrived, he arrived at the wall, and he took time to evaluate the situation. He went out in the dark and circled around the city just to look at what all was broken down, how things really looked, and it all matched up to the report he had received. And then after that, he got the Jews together. He got the priests together. He got um, the nobles and the locals all put together. And in chapter 2, he says, Face it, we're in a bad way here. Jerusalem is a wreck. Its gates are burned up. Come, let us, let us build the wall of Jerusalem and not live with its disgrace any longer. I told them how God was supporting me and how the king was backing me up. They said, we're with you. Let's get started. And I love this, this part of scripture. And they rolled up their sleeves, ready for the good work. Amen. I love that. Let's just roll up our sleeves and get ready for some good work. So here's what Nehemiah had. He had everything he needed, right? He had the favor of God. He had the favor of the king. He had supplies all furnished for him. He had the favor of the people, and they were ready to roll. So it's all systems go, right? Easy peasy, right? 
you got everything you need. I think that sometimes that's how we think it should go for us when God's on our side and he's called us to a mission or he's called us to a purpose. We're called to something and we go, man, all the criteria is met, all the boxes are checked, and then we're surprised when opposition comes in. Like, what? Wait, isn't God on my side? Yeah, he is. Don't I have everything I need? Yeah, absolutely. Are people with me on this? Absolutely. Where'd the opposition come? Well, here's the deal. We have a very real enemy. And the thing that he loses sleep over, the only thing that he obsesses over is to kill, steal, and destroy. That's the thing the enemy wants to do. He wants to take you out. He's not excited when you're taking ground for the kingdom of God. He's not applauding you when you're building for the kingdom of God. He has one mission, is to kill, steal, and destroy. So when you start taking ground for the kingdom of God, you should have it in the back of your mind. There's still an enemy out there. He's not happy about this. Well, let me introduce to you, if I will, Sambalat. Sambalat. And I YouTube the pronunciation of his name. Thank you very much. So you can be confident in that. When Sambalat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, the Arab, heard about it, they laughed at us, mocking us. Ha! Huh, who do you think you are? Do you think you can cross the king? I love Nehemiah's response. I shot back. The God of heaven will make sure we succeed. We're his servants and we're going to work rebuilding. You can stick to your own business. You get no say in this. Jerusalem is none of your business. Satan, the God of heaven is going to make sure we succeed. You can just stick to your own business. You have no say in this. Sometimes we just need to take our ground and say, the God of heaven will make sure we succeed. It is well. I choose not to conform to this culture, but to conform to the will of God in Jesus' name. Amen. And you got to just kind of look at what Sambalat does right away. What does he do? He starts, he's loud, he's obnoxious, he's, he's rowdy, and he's furious. He's threatened by uh, the Jews. He's thinking, man, if the Jews get on top of this and they build up Jerusalem, they could be a threat to me. He was, he was governing Samaria. He's like, this could be a threat to me. And so he was trying to take them out. But Nehemiah just responds back like, no, this is what we're about. I want to throw in a little piece of interesting information. Sometimes the enemy comes at you like a roaring lion. And you can recognize like, no, I won't go for that. But here's the deal. When you study Sambalat's name, his name means the enemy is secret. Sometimes the enemy can sneak in on you like a snake. And he can try to take you out through things that aren't so loud. Little things like apathy. Eh, I don't feel like it today. Little things like offenses. I cannot believe that they... Little things like, somebody else can do that. Right? Let's roll up our sleeves, church. We got a mission. There's a real enemy. Let's not let the loud, the furious, the obnoxious enemy take us out. Let's not let that little snake take us out. We were designed to crush his head. Amen? Amen. So Nehemiah chapter 4 says, When Sambalat and Tobiah, the Arabs, all his cronies, heard that repairs of the wall of Jerusalem were going so well, that breaks in the wall were being fixed, they were absolutely furious. They put their heads together and decided to fight against Jerusalem and create as much trouble as they could. 
We countered with prayer to our God and set round the clock guard against them. One of our greatest weapons is to continue to not be ignorant of the enemy's devices and to watch and to pray. Be ready to fight. As we go on in Nehemiah chapter 4, 13 through 18, we see how Nehemiah responded to the enemy. He not only just gave him a good tongue lashing back, he set up strategic guards. He says, so I stationed armed guards at the most vulnerable places of the wall and assigned people by families with their swords, lances, and bows. And after looking things over, I stood up and spoke to the nobles, officials, and everyone else. Don't be afraid of them. Put your minds on the master, great and awesome, and then fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Our enemies learned that we knew all about their plan, and guess what? And that God had frustrated it. Nehemiah took all the action to be ready for defense, but God had already frustrated the enemy's plan. And we went back to the wall, and we went to work. All right, we took care of business. We're going back to the wall. We're continuing to build. From then on, half of my young men worked while the other half stood guard with lances, shields, bows, and male armor. Military officers served as backup for everyone in Judah who was at work rebuilding the wall. The common laborers, I love this picture, and actually Pastor Mike pointed this out in a conversation. The common laborers held a tool in one hand and a spear in the other. And I just love that. Each of the builders had a sword strapped to his side as he worked. I kept the trumpeter at my side to sound the alert. So here it is. All right, God, I'm going to be purposeful about building this thing in my heart. I'm going to be purposeful about building my family. I'm going to be purposeful about building the house of God. I'm going to be purposeful about building the community. But I'm not going to be ignorant to the attacks of the enemy. So I'm going to take my trowel and slap on some mud, and I'm going to be ready with my spear, and I'm going to take my hands, I'm going to throw up a brick, and I'm going to be ready with my spear to take out the enemy. And when I see my brother needs help, I'm going to be there with my sword, ready to take out the enemy. I'm going to stand with him and be ready to take out the enemy. When my sister needs encouragement, I'm going to come alongside, ready to take out the enemy, continuing to build. Can you see the image of that? All right. So here's the thing. The enemy can be loud, he can be furious, he can be silent, he can be deceptive. We're not ignorant of his ways. I want to just let you know, when you are building something, don't be surprised when there's an attack at hand. I just don't find it to be coincidental that in the year 2021, God tells Pastor Mike and Rhonda, now's your time, go forth and build that church building. It's such a such a crazy year to do it. And we know it. (laughs) We know it, but we're stepping out in obedience and in faith. In the year 2021, Pastor Mike has been preaching on the armor of God, making certain that you're well-equipped for the battle, knowing that we're going forth to build and expecting the battle. But church, you are well-equipped. You are well-equipped, not just for the battle, but to apprehend the victory. Amen? You are well equipped. So I'm hoping this morning that these examples, that these scriptures are stirring in your heart a greater capacity to build something within your own heart, to build something within your own family, to be part of building the church for kingdom purposes. But some of you might still be wondering, wondering like, okay, so what do I do today? Like, what's my tangible action today? And to that, I would say, I'm so glad you asked. 
Each of you was gifted a Lego. You should have been gifted a Lego. Look around, you should have a Lego. If you don't have a Lego, this is the only time in church that you have permission to give your neighbor the stink eye and just look at them and say, Lego, my Lego. You want to do it again? Look at your other neighbor and say, Lego, my Lego. You got this time now. You've got this Lego. Now, given the right environment in a dark room, these Legos scattered on the floor are a respectable weapon to any grown adult innocently getting up for a glass of water barefoot. This will take a grown adult out. You know it. Otherwise, these little bricks just laying in a bucket seem insignificant. Maybe a bit of a nuisance, right? They're going to hurt. But have you ever been to the Mall of America? Have you ever seen those statues at the Mall of America? They're huge. They're pretty impressive. I don't know if you can see this very well, but there's multiple statues up here. There's one of a transformer. There's a globe. See the little people down here? I mean, these are larger than life. Over there, there's actually like this huge helicopter hanging, all made with Legos. All made with Legos. See, given enough time, given enough imagination, given enough creativity, these little insignificant things, they can add up to something pretty impressive. So the bucket of Legos I have here are from my friend Chris. Although her, friend, her boys are grown, they're teenagers, I was really pretty confident that I could call her for this sermon illustration and she'd be able to pull through. I was confident that she'd have some Legos. Because I remember back in the day when her little guys were just little guys. And she was looking around and she wanted to do something for the Lord. She wanted to make connections in her community. She wanted to have open doors for ministry. And she took an assessment of what is it that I have? What can I use? And she looked around her house, and her boys at the time were just into Legos. And she said, we got Legos. I've got Legos. I can use Legos. And so she went to the school, and she said, I'd like to start a Lego club and invite the kids. And she had inroads into different families, connections with different families, and she got permission to start a Lego club. And guess what happened? Guess what happened? What would be a good turnout for Lego Club? 84 kids showed up. 84 kids showed up and continued to come that first year and for years following. 84 kids. What did she look at? She just looked at what was around, laying around in her life. What do I have? Lord, I don't know what I have, but I'm going to entrust it to you. I'm going to trust that you can use what I have, whether what, the good, the bad, the ugly, the messy. I'm going to just entrust it to you, Lord, and you're going to multiply it, and you're going to use it and do great things. It's such a great example of what we can do in our homes and our churches. It's such a great example of why we put such an emphasis on life groups here. It's just a matter of looking like, what is it that you have? Some of you have different hobbies, and you just don't even realize, like, that is a ministry opportunity. That is a vein that God can use for you to reach other people and to share his love. Here's what happens. Those uh, great big Lego structures, they didn't just happen overnight. We'd like it to happen that way, right? But it happened by taking one brick at a time. 
adding another brick, taking another brick and adding another brick. It's doing the next right thing. It's taking our ordinary and laying it before the Lord and doing the next right thing and committing it to him and trusting that as we're faithful in giving him our ordinary, God can create something totally extraordinary when we look back on it of just laying it brick by brick by brick, doing the next right thing. Parents, this is why you keep bringing your kids to church. No matter what the age, it is Mother's Day, so I want to speak to that. No matter what the age, this is why you keep bringing your kids to church. Well, I don't know why I went through all that work. I spent the entire time out in the fire because you're laying another brick. Well, I just got to church this morning and sweet little schnookums, she blew out her outfit and somebody forgot to pack a spare. This is why you're just laying another brick. This is why you bring your kids to church and you teach them from a young age. You know, this is how we serve. You're laying another brick. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to invite, I want to just thank you for your attention. I'm going to invite the worship team up and the altar workers. If you would just stand with me too as a congregation. I know we like essentially did a survey of the Old Testament. It probably felt like drinking water from a fire hydrant. But I hope it ministered some truth to your hearts this morning. I hope it encouraged you. The wise woman builds her house. Wise people are builders. Wise people love the Lord and bring honor to him and magnify Jesus' love to others. That's what you're created to do. Wise people minister truth. Wise people minister deliverance. Wise people walk in resurrection power and extend that to others. Wise people are ready to battle and they're ready to battle well. Not just for themselves, but the one next to them. Amen? So this morning I want to ask you, what is your brick? What is God putting in your heart right now that he wants to use for you to add another layer to do the next right thing. What is your brick that he wants you to entrust to him to build with him? God is looking for builders. One of the things that's so important when it comes to building though, is having a firm foundation. It won't stand without a firm foundation. So I don't know where you stand with the Lord today, but there may be someone here today that you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ. And he is your foundation. He's your cornerstone. He is truly what you can build your life upon. Does that mean that life will be just a tiptoe through the tulips? No, but you have the victory because you know your Lord and Savior, the one who has overcome it all. So I want to give you an opportunity this morning, if that's you this morning, and you've never asked the Lord into your heart, we're going to pray corporately together. Not because we all need to, to have this prayer, but because maybe there's someone and you just hear the person next to you praying with you and it gives you the courage just to surrender to Jesus. So if you would pray with me, Heavenly Father, I come in the name of Jesus. I am a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin and came back to life with resurrection power. I don't want to live apart from you anymore. I repent of my sin and choose to follow you. Be Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the strength to live for you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Now, God's promises don't expire. For those of you that have been walking with Jesus, I believe God wants to break off limitations this morning. I believe he wants to break off the limitation that has kept you from thinking, I don't have anything, I don't have the right thing. If I had what that person had or this person, then I could do it. I believe God wants to open your eyes to what you do have, that you would commit it to him. That the excuses and the lies that have held you back would be no more. They would have no more power over you. That when you devote these things to him, being faithful in it, when you're nailing the next board to your ark, when you're making room for him to be present in your life, when you're laying that next brick, that God would just expand that thing and bless that and take you from that ordinary to that extraordinary. I believe God wants to loose that in this church this morning so that legacy is built for generation after generation after generation. So now, Father, I ask that you would do that very thing right now. Break off the limitations on our thinking. Break off the excuses and the lies that have held us back. Break off the confusion that has deceived us. Lord, fill us with clear vision in Jesus' name. Help us to see like you see. Help us to be bold with our faith, quick to hear and quick to obey. Father God, I pray that you bless your church this morning. Bless the mothers here this morning. Lord, and I just pray that as we go out, you show us opportunity to make Jesus' love big to everyone around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.